At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 279th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious, and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping one city in Australia understand the realities of food insecurity. We're talking to Cindy Tran about the Moreland Food System Strategy. Cindy completed a bachelor's in biomedicine degree at the University of Melbourne with a major in pathology and matured her quantitative research skills at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute as a research student. She subsequently completed her master's of public health at the University of Melbourne. Cindy specialized in health and policy promotion and developed a good understanding of the Australian healthcare system. She has a strong interest in obesity and diabetes and how these are influenced by our cities and food systems. Cindy produced a background report collating local evidence about the issue of food security within the city of Moreland. This report contributed to the endorsement of the Moreland Food Systems Strategy in May 2017. Welcome to the show today, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I am excited about this topic because I've got some background in this. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, yeah great. So I guess I started off with an undergraduate in uh, biomedicine. Mm-hmm. So I took kind of an unconventional pathway in terms of I studied pathology, so the study of diseases. All so right. my interest really began, yeah, it began in obesity and diabetes. And that turned into how food is affected because I'm a, I love food. <laughs> and from, from a very young age, you know, I'm Vietnamese, Chinese, and my parents just cook great food and, you know, very like homegrown food. Right. So that's where my passion really came out of. And that's where I learned about the social determinants of health and how very different components of the world affect your health and well-being, you know, both physically, socially, and economically, that's where it all began. Right. And so, yeah, I did an undergraduate, and then I went on and did my master's of public health at the University of Melbourne. And I studied subjects in nutrition, politics, and policy, as well as the politics of food. So this kind of took a more systems-level approach, understanding the whole food system and all the different factors that affect it from the very start of the process to when it ends up on your table. Right. 
Yeah, and so then when I started my second year, my final year of my master's, we had to complete a either a research project or a professional placement. And mine was a combination of both professional placement at the Moreland City Council, but it was a research project essentially because I did a background report on the issue of food security within Moreland. I guess the background behind it all is that I met with them at the start of the year in 2016 and, you know, we were hoping that the strategy was going to be endorsed by July, which is when I was going to start. Right. And I was going to do a little bit of a like pilot project about, you know, like setting up a community garden to test pilot the whole strategy and, you know, implement it along the way. Right. Things don't always work out in <laughs> as planned, of course. Right. <laughs> and when I started in July, I got in the first day and they were like, the strategy has not been it has not been endorsed as planned. And so we don't have a project for you. You're welcome to stay and do the project, but you have to think of your own project to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I really wanted to do something related to food systems. That's the way I wanted my career to move. I had to start from the beginning and look at how I needed to produce a project that would be meaningful to the council, as well as something that I could give back to uni, mm-hmm. my uni subjects. Right. Yeah. So this is a project that is really, well, I guess it's two-sided. Part of it falls directly in your area of study. The other part, the urban, you know, the planning part, the city planning part, did you have any background yeah. in city planning? No. In my final year, I did a subject about healthy communities, and that was the first time where everything clicked like how our cities are shaped right. is involved with, you know, where our food is grown and how it's grown and how you access it and how it's delivered to your door or, you know, to your supermarket. And so I don't have a training in urban planning essentially, but it's just that's where it came out of, one, one subject at uni. Wow. You know, I love those kind of classes that plant seeds that change your life forever, huh? Yeah, it was just an amazing class, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I had a couple of those. I went back to college late in life. I was, uh, in 1999, I was 38 years old. I went back to college for my degrees. I got a bachelor's and a master's in, you know, in studying that stuff. And there were a couple of classes along the way that just flat out changed my life forever. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. So you have this background. Your background is in biomedicine, public health, and the healthcare system looking at obesity and diabetes and how they're influenced by our cities and the food system. So let's let's start there. How do our cities and the food system influence obesity and diabetes? So I guess public health is an interesting field because pretty much everything I, I believe affects your health and well-being. Yeah. So from you know how you get to work sitting on a tram, sitting on a train for half an hour, up to an hour, sometimes more. Mm-hmm. From the time you wake up, that influences your health and well-being. And then when you get to work, the people that you work with. There was a recent paper talking about how your colleagues can really affect your diet and the things that you do at work. Of so, course. Yeah. You know, if your colleagues are all getting a coffee, obviously, you know, you just be like, oh, yeah, you can grab me as well. So you usually not kind of take into account all the little things that you do during the day because of everything else that's happening around you. I guess it is really important because you can't really determine exactly 
all the little things, you can't really take account into all of that. And so when people do diets and try and do their food blogs and things like that, it's right. it's not a long-term sustainable thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the issue of food insecurity, which I guess I'll probably just give you a bit of a understanding of it. That, that was actually going to um, be my next question. So food security, <laughs> food insecurity, let's kind of define those two terms, please. Yeah. So I guess it's about allowing people to access food that's both sufficient, safe, and nutritious, but it's determined by their physical access. Oh, so yes. how long it takes for them to access the food and how they have to get there to do it, as well right. as their social access. Yeah. So if you are able to access that with your family, with your friends, your outer social networks, and third component is economic access. Mm-hmm. So being able to actually afford it. So another component of food insecurity, it's a very, very long definition, I guess, from the Food and Agriculture Organization. Right. It needs to meet your personal dietary needs and your food preferences. Mm-hmm. So it's not as easy to say, yep, you should have your five vegetables and two fruits a day and you're going to have rice with it. It has to be dependent on your cultural needs as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've been working through your school and now you're at a job that they don't really have much of a job for you anymore. And you're faced with a quandary, I would guess, at that point, right? Yep. I guess I grew up in Moreland as well. So Moreland City Council, north of the CBD. Uh-huh. And I really wanted to see some. It's a very prosperous community, but it has had difficulties in terms of changing demographics. Uh-huh. And so I read this statistic while I was preparing for, you know, starting at the Moreland City Council. And I found out that it was the only metropolitan municipality right. that was ranked in the top 10 of municipalities that are experiencing food insecurity. So it was ranked number five. Wow. Yeah. And it was an old statistic. It was in 2008. Mm-hmm. But my background report did support that it was still a big issue. Got it. So you, you arrive there and they tell you you don't have a job anymore. That's essentially what they said, right? Yes. Yeah. So what did you do? I mean, like, because you obviously convinced somebody that the Moreland food system strategy was important. What was your next step there? So I really had to start looking into documents and understanding the politics around why it hadn't been endorsed. Uh And so I did a lot of subjects in health policy back at uni. And so there's this concept of a policy window. And so you actually have these three streams where you you have a problem, Uh you need to define the problem. So that's the problem stream. And the problem here is that there's no food system framework that's supporting how food is accessed, how food is available to the community. Uh-huh. The second stream is the policy stream. So you need to develop a solution. And to tackle that solution, we had the Moreland Food System Framework. And the final thing, which I identified as the main issue, was the political stream, which is understanding oh, yes. the politics of both the councillors as well as internally within the business units of the council. Mm -hmm. So I found out that the councils at the time were not supportive of the food system framework. They didn't understand that it was a big issue. And with my researcher's hat on, yeah, even though they'd undergone these consultations and they had an external consultant come in with a steering committee and they developed um, 
this at the time it was called the um, Moreland Urban Agriculture Framework, something along those lines. And they just didn't think it was big enough of an issue and that there wasn't support behind it. Right. And I thought, hang on, you spent, you know, over almost six months plus developing this with so many people involved. How is it not an issue? And I knew along the way that other local governments within our um, within our city had already gotten food-related policies in place. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to produce that evidence. I'm going to collate all the evidence that's already available out there. Yeah. Because we've, we had five research reports and three survey reports done in Moreland City Council, but it was all sporadic. It wasn't available to the public. I wanted to bring that evidence together to show that it is an issue and food insecurity is one component of the general food system. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, good. So you're out there collecting all of this data and you take it back and represent it, right? Yes. So what happens next? So what happens next is, oh, I didn't say that I had 12 weeks to do this project. Oh, right. It was a semester long project. And Uh so I had a timeline. I had to prove to the university that it was something that was doable and that it was going to be able to be worth its value. Yeah. And so, yeah, so initially I scoped. I saw I did a scoping review, which took about five weeks and I collated all the evidence. And then I did background research to support the evidence that other researchers had produced. Mm. And so that came out with three sets of themes, and that was to do with the demographic characteristics, so the type of people that are affected by um, food insecurity in Moreland. Right. And the second topic was local food supply. So that was Uh, talking about the food-growing spaces, the outlets that were available, where people shopped, public transport access. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the third topic that I identified was about emergency food relief. Uh, So the organizations that support um, food relief, as well as the nutritional adequacy of the foods provided at these relief organizations. mm -hmm. So these were the three topics that we, um, that I identified in the scoping review from the research that had been done previously by other people at the council. And you, and you put this together in five weeks. Overall, it was 12 weeks, but I did that in the background research and the scoping review it took me about seven weeks and wow. I compiled the data in the last three weeks. Wow. Do they, yeah. ever, call, do they ever call you superwoman for that? <laughs> uh, no, I think it was just expected of me because I was very persistent that I was going to continue with this project. Yeah. You know? Right. And, you know, I, we, I had to speak to previous people in the role, previous like council workers there, as mm-hmm. well as I held a think tank workshop which I Mm -hmm. came to a stage, yeah, I came to a stage where I had some strategies that I identified and some recommendations. So the point of my background report was I was going to make some recommendations, but I had to workshop it with the people in the council business units, so people who worked in the council, as well as I wanted to get some stakeholders in as well. Unfortunately, I only had one stakeholder come uh, able to attend, but it was really helpful because I was able to workshop these ideas and they were like, oh, hang on, this might not work. Oh, this is quite political. It probably shouldn't add this. Right. And I think that was a really important workshop because if you're doing something in a very political space, you want to get as much feedback as you can from oh, yeah. all these stakeholders. Yeah. Wow. All right. Cool. So now you've done this work, you're seven, eight, nine, ten weeks in. 
actually at this point you're having to reconvince the city council that this is a good thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. So how'd that look? How'd you do there? Well, the interesting thing is I was working in the community development and social policy unit Mm -hmm. and where I was really baffled was that they did, they were all working in particular projects, but it never really clicked. It doesn't usually click to people that they're working in the public health space. Right. And, you know, this is a really good example of how public health is everything, it can be anything and is everything really. Mm-hmm. And so I had to convince them that things that you're doing in diversity affects people's health and well-being, right. and that's public health. And I think when I explained to them the importance of food, one of the reasons why I I really pushed on this project is because we all have to eat and what we put into our bodies is really important. And some people are very fortunate to be able to feed themselves good things, but there are lots and lots of people who don't have that luxury. So, you know, taking it really back to basics, people were like, oh yeah, this is really important. And the work that we do can influence how our food is grown. Perfect. So, You've done all this work now and you've talked to the politicians and you've, you know, worked your way through all of this. And the reason you're here today is because the Moreland Food System strategy got passed. So tell me about the, you know, the evening or day that it actually got passed. And then I want to know what's in the Moreland Food System strategy. Like, what's it do? So go. <laughs> so essentially what happened was I finished my project in November 2016 uh-huh. and that was a time in the council where we had elections so we had a new wave of councillors come in mm-hmm. and I guess in Australian context we had a lot of Greens councillors who are new. more progressive yeah. and new yeah who were looking more towards healthy communities and pushing that agenda. Right. So w- what happened after that was the working group that was set up had a range of, you know, the previous steering committee members who pushed this at the start, as well as commu- new community members and the staff of the council. And they, again, had an external consultant. Uh-huh. Someone that you'll have in very soon in your podcast, Sophie Jamieson, she was working on the advocacy side. So right. I guess my story is more about the research component. Yep. And then Sophie will be able to say kick the story off from when I left off, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, and so the draft essentially, the draft of the Moreland Food System Strategy was produced in April 2017 with some changes to the original strategy that was meant to be endorsed in July, around July 2016. Yeah. Perfect. And what does the Moreland Food System Strategy do? What's it accomplish? What it accomplishes is that it's a very big overarching policy, which in Australia we have the Municipal Public Health and Wellbeing Plan that all our municipalities are required to produce for a period of time. Uh And so the Moreland Food System really puts itself in the same arena as the Public Health and Wellbeing Plan. So it's talking about, yeah, it's about building the building blocks for the community and the council to create the sustainable and equitable food system. And in the food system strategy, there are quite a few components that it addresses. And it's a big policy that has a lot of people that will need to be involved. Right. 
So what are the kinds of things that it's addressing? It's addressing, firstly, which has been very exciting, one of my recommendations in my background report was it was a longer-term recommendation, but it happened as soon as the framework was endorsed, uh-huh. the strategy was endorsed. And I recommended that we have a food systems officer. So someone in the council ah. who's actually, whose who's focus is to advance the food system conversation. Right. And at the time, we didn't think that it was going to be something that council would take on. Uh-huh. But I think with the advocacy involved, lots of people backing this strategy, they realized that, yeah, someone actually needs to be looking after this because yeah. people need to talk to each other and mm-hmm. someone needs to really get this ball rolling because everyone has timelines and we can't just rely on one business unit mm-hmm. to advance that story. Right. Yeah, I've been, I've, yeah. Been, I've been growing food here in the desert, desert southwest in the U.S. for over 40 years. And I've done, been involved with a lot of community gardens and school gardens and those kinds of things. And the single biggest reason for success or failure of a, a garden, a community garden or a school garden, mm-hmm. is if there is somebody there to hold the torch for it, to carry it forward, to make sure that it happens. So I'm really, yeah. I'm really glad that the more, you know, the Moreland food system strategy has that person in place because that should almost virtually guarantee its success. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. And, you know, as a research, as an independent researcher for the council, they're like, oh, you know, you probably shouldn't put that in there because it's, it's probably just not going to work anyway. And um, they're probably not going to um, create a new position because of obviously, you know, funding restraints and things like that. Whereas right. like, no, as an independent researcher, I believe that this is what we need because if you don't have that essential, that person would be an essential glue towards the community as well as internally inside the council, mm-hmm. you're not really going to make any progress. And, you know, if other um, councils around Moreland have a food system officer surely we can do the same yeah yeah oh so there was a there was a framework in other communities for a food systems officer yes we had um the city of darabin was leading the way and they had a food system officer who you know was pushing the agenda forward and so they're only you know 10 kilometers west of moorland right not that far so Yeah. yeah Excellent. All right, great. So that's one thing it accomplished. What are what's one more thing that it accomplished? I guess for the first time it showed that an independent piece of research that was done by a university student could actually make an impact yeah. within the council because we'd had five previous research reports done by other university students mm-hmm. and but it, they just sat on the shelf. They didn't really push much. Right. Whereas mine, because I gathered everything together and I was quite vocal about the work that I was doing, vocal not like as though I was going up to people and you know yelling at them. I was more having that conversation about why my work was important and talking to other people from other parts of the council about it. That's what my research did. Yeah. It kind of created that conversation, that dialogue about how important this issue is yeah. for the people that live in the council. Yeah. Well, congratulations, because I know having it being picked up, your report being picked up and actually used is, uh, that's quite an accomplishment. I actually 
uh, have a master's report that I wrote in 2006 for my yep. for my master's degree, and uh, I think two people read it. Uh, my parents may have read it, and you know it's <laughs> sitting it's sitting in the file cabinet in back of me. It was a great piece of research, but there wasn't a framework for it to get carried forward, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations! That is quite the accomplishment. Thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah, you bet. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Yeah, I guess when I told you my story at the start, I didn't say that it wasn't always that I'd planned to do a Master's of Public Health straight away. Uh So I guess I'll talk about my failure in terms of my failed aspiration. So coming out of my biomedicine degree, I did an undergraduate research program uh-huh. throughout my final year. Right. And I did that at the, this great lab, and I enjoyed it so much. I wanted to do an honors research project. So what in, what's involved is it's a one-year intensive course, which leads you into potentially studying a PhD. Yeah, what I wanted to work on was a very particular, very specific project about uh-huh obesity and diabetes and how that's affected in women who are pregnant and how a very particular compound in citrus fruits would be uh, potentially effective for that could be potentially reduces the chance of type 2 diabetes in their children things like that all right anyway i got into the honors research project was really excited to start and i had this plan to be an expert in this field Uh and then i was going to (laughs) you know very very bushy-eyed and excited and i was going to eventually end up doing a master's of public health where i can translate into policy Mm -hmm. and you know things looked like they were going to work out in january so our semester start in february january i got this email that was saying that the mouse model that i was going to be working in they didn't survive. The mice didn't survive. The two pregnant mice didn't make it over the summer. Oh, wow. And my research project couldn't continue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that changed everything for me. And I had this grand aspiration and it just failed. You know, it's not on my myself, but everything I had to change. Yeah. So the Moreland project wasn't the first time you had some adversity show up in your space. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I'm quite persistent and I am first generation Australian. So uh-huh. my parents you know, Vietnamese refugees and they came to Australia by a boat and, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to university and I wasn't going to give up, you know. And what I learned from this experience was that, you know, you don't yes, something didn't turn out well, but I really scrambled on my feet and had to find a new pathway. And I wasn't going to take a year off because yeah. That's just not in my personality to do that. So I pushed and I got into the Masters of Public Health and started in that same year. But I always kept that research component in the things that I've done. Right. And that's why the Moreland food system strategy, it was really important that I produce a piece of research that, you know, I've learned that you know, your reports, as you said yourself, it could just go and just sit on a shelf and <laughs> yep, no I got one, one of those. might read it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. And I, I was fully aware of that when I yeah. com- started the project. I knew that, you know, this might not work out, but I was committed to that 12 weeks because yeah. if I wasn't committed, things wouldn't have changed. Yeah. Well, look what you did. Congratulations once again. So <laughs> what do you consider your biggest success? I guess. 
not because of this podcast, like not um, saying this because I'm recording this about this podcast, but I guess this background report was pretty much a really big su- success. Right. Because I've only really just studied my whole life, like gone through university straight after I did uh-huh. my high school. And so this background report has been something that just shows that if you are really passionate about your field, you can really change things yeah. and actually have real outcomes. And sometimes in public health, you won't see the impact that your work does for you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Right, but right. This, I was very lucky to have a piece of work that I worked on have such significant changes in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what drives you? I guess the way that I was raised in terms of, you know, I knew my parents were, didn't have the same fortune as I did. And I don't know, I've just got this really big passion for science and I've got a really analytical mind. So I don't really like being bored. So I'm always reading something new, even if it's not related to, quite related to something that I'm working on. I'm Mm -hmm. just always, I've got the thirst for knowledge really. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know yeah. what? I'm I'm a lifelong learner. I, as I mentioned earlier, I went back to school and got a bachelor's and a master's late in life. I so I I'm totally on board with you. I hear you. Mm, yeah. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? My friend gave me this book and she'd mentioned it a couple of times. It was called When Breath Becomes Air, and it's by Paul Kalanithi. Uh huh. And it's a book about his life and it's a reflection on facing one's own mortality mm. and he was a doctor but then became a patient and so it's his reflections on what it's like to be a doctor as well as being on the other side and being a patient being very vulnerable and facing your own death it was just one of those books that you read and you're really immersed into it because it's so real and you don't really always think about your own mortality and just right. life and death. You know, everyone's so focused on what's happening right now. People don't really like talking about death. So it was just a book that I would recommend to everyone. Yeah. What was the name of it again? When Breath Becomes Air. Wow. All right, cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? It's to persevere even when people tell you it's not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, the space of working in public health, you're going to go against lots of politics and lots of research that takes you a really long time. But, you know, if you are passionate enough about something, mm-hmm. you can have that conversation with people. And I think having a story that people can relate to is really important because they will show, they will be able to understand why you're so passionate about it. Yeah. And that perseverance just comes through. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. How can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more about the Moreland Food System Strategy if they want to you know, see us, use it as a model? Yeah, all that information is on the Moreland website, including my background report. So you can get a hold of that on www.moreland.vic.gov.au forward slash food hyphen systems. Perfect. So we'll also have that on our show notes page from today's podcast at 
urbanfarm.org forward slash Moreland, M-O-R-E-L-A-N-D. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.